Hey y'all, welcome to today's episode of Tahana Feminist Talks, a podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lopez. Thank you so much for listening today. As always, we have two goals here. The first is to learn about topics within social justice, and the second is to unlearn harmful ways of thinking and behaviors. Remember that this is an ongoing process that requires vulnerability, but I expect us all to create an environment for accountability. Um, This is the final episode for the first season of Tahana Feminist Talks. I know I took a short break before um, this final episode, um, but it was definitely necessary and I think it's relevant to the topic of today, which is self-care. Um, so I'm going to be talking about self-care uh, mainly because I think that the language that revolves around self-care has been very much co-opted by capitalism. Um, so people feel like if they aren't spending money and physically doing things or buying things to feel better, then it's not self-care. And this is something that, you know, I can relate to because I have felt like this before. Um, and it kind of took a wake-up call for me to snap out of that. Um, I also really want to take from conversations and resources that I found that are really taking back what self-care is. Um, a lot of the times self-care when talked about in like the mainstream media um, focuses a lot on like individual self-care and I think that it's really necessary to talk about community care because that's where a lot of us um, are at or like that's where a lot of us need and yeah I think community care fits very well into this conversation. I also felt that it was necessary to cover this, um, you know, just like I would have covered it a few weeks ago, I'm still sticking to this topic because I think so many of us are struggling mentally, physically, and emotionally with like all the things that are currently happening. Um, Part of the reason why it took a minute to upload this episode is because I um, record, basically I record as I'm uploading um, or, you know, very close to when I'm uploading and I felt really just really tired. Um, I was, you know, on social media all day scrolling um, and it was really taking a toll on my mental health and, you know, not only do you see COVID related things, whether that be, you know, studies or stats about how black and brown people are disproportionately affected by it or people just carelessly, you know, going about their day-to-day lives while, you know, risking the lives of other folks, um, I think like that was just so overwhelming. And then add that, you know, the protests continuing and like the way that, um, you know, people were kind of saying like, oh, our timelines are going back to normal. And I'm like, well, that doesn't mean that everything is fixed. You know, black people are still being targeted by the state and murdered. And I think like that, these two things, and then also, you know, I know for some folks, especially my friends in the RGV, they also had to deal with um, the effects of a hurricane. And I think there was just a lot um, going on and, you know, also like election stuff, which I really don't want to get into. Um, But yeah, I think that it's a perfect time to really think about what self-care means for ourselves and for our communities. 
um, because there's so many other things, you know, that individuals are going through right now. And I know that it's a lot. And I just think that this is really good information that may help people find what works for them or, you know, the things that they should consider doing to ensure that, you know, they're okay, but also their communities is okay. So yeah, a bit of a long intro, but I think this will be a very helpful episode. Um, and at the very least, I hope that you are able to kind of think more about what self-care can mean to you, um, if you so desire. So with that being said, let's get right into it. Caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. This is a quote from Audre Lorde, um, and I... I think it's really important and really relevant. But first things first, like always, I, you know, tend to define terms for us. So self-care is oftentimes simply defined as taking care of yourself. But for me, I think it's a lot deeper than that, as I'm sure it is for other folks. Um, And I personally like to split things into two categories whenever I'm talking about self-care. So self-care can be things that are necessary for my pleasure. This is not just sexual pleasure, although you know that can be part of it, but also doing things like pampering myself, disconnecting from technology, going outside, like taking a walk or just you know sitting in the sun, or maybe reading, um, you know, for fun. Um, also, I love like preparing food or like meals from scratch because it's. It takes so long. Um, It just feels very relaxing to me. Um, And so these are things that I feel like are necessary for, like I said, my pleasure, right? And then we have things that are necessary for my well-being. So this is like hygiene, right? Taking showers, um, making sure I do my skincare routine, um, brushing my teeth, feeding myself, um, doing laundry, maybe also Um, At one point, this included going to therapy. So both of these categories of self-care are important to me because I know that they will ensure that I am happy and healthy. Um, And I think that something I noticed is that sometimes the way that self-care is talked about is very much like a treat yourself type of thing. And I'll get into that in a little bit. Going back to Audre Lorde's quote, when you do self-care, you're giving yourself the necessities you need to keep going, especially if you're doing movement work, you know. But self-care is an act of political warfare because so many systems are profiting off of you being burnt out or looking for things to consume in order to cope. Self-care has been co-opted by capitalism. Um, And I think this is really, really apparent, especially when you're like scrolling on Instagram, for example. So many businesses are selling you the aesthetics of self-care, right? So you have expensive face masks and bubble baths and like luxurious silk pajamas. And I don't think there's anything wrong with these things. And like, they make me feel good at times, you know? Like I love putting on a face mask. I love taking baths. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with these. But I think it's important for all of us to understand that Capitalism thrives off of us needing things. So what happens when you buy these things and they don't make you feel good, right? You keep buying more and more and more until you 
fill that hole or try to. And I think like if businesses said something like, oh, do like the necessary things, you know, that we talked about earlier, then businesses would be out of business because it doesn't make sense for them to say this because the whole point of them is to profit off of us. And so I think having an awareness is really essential, like being aware of, you know, that line between, okay, I'm buying these things because yeah, I love to be pampered, but I also acknowledge that this is not gonna fix everything. And I think that that's something that takes a while to learn, but I do think that being aware of this is very helpful. Um, and, you know, like I said, capitalism has co-opted self-care, but I also think that um, like an extension of that is that capitalism also benefits from our worth being tied to our productivity. And I have a very, 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 very big issue with doing this. Um, and I think that they're connected because if capitalism benefits from us not feeling worthy because we're not doing enough, then that kind of leads us to feeling bad about ourselves, feeling like, you know, we need other things to cope and then turning to buying things, right? Or maybe overworking yourself. Um, and so I think for people with disabilities and folks who are not able-bodied, it can feel really selfish to practice self-care, especially when it's not planned. Um, or maybe when you need frequent breaks, like in your day-to-day -day life, or you haven't been as productive as you felt was necessary. And I speak on this from experience because um, I'm, I don't think I mentioned this explicitly on here, but I have endometriosis and when I do have a flare up, there is nothing I can do. For the longest time, I would just like take a lot of painkillers, you know, try to work through my pain because I wanted to be as productive as possible. And I was like, you know, this is so inconvenient, not just to myself, but to those around me. So I need to work through that. And I think this would have been a really good time to practice self-care. But because I felt like others would see this as an excuse or see me as not someone they could rely on, I would just push through it. And I made a lot of not great decisions because I was in a lot of pain. And so I think like I'm here to remind you, <laughs> and I think it's important for me to say this, that self-care should not depend on how much you do or the value you place on your work in your like everyday life you know because we live in our in a capitalist society so self-care is necessary um and you know taking this out of like a making money context i think whenever you don't allow yourself to practice self-care it's just a recipe for burnout um because you will get burnt out like sooner or later and if you aren't doing the things to take care of yourself or if you aren't letting your community take care of you then it's going to happen um, and I actually think this is a really great segue to our next part which is about community care sometimes the conversation around self-care can feel really individualist and for some people self-care must include community um, I read this really great article called Beyond Self-Care Bubble Baths A Vision for Community Care by Abony Jones, um, and I will put the link in the description. But I really wanted to share this quote that stood out. 
They said, but when I think about community, I am more interested in what small-scale interpersonal social networks can do to take care of each other. I want to see what it looks like when a community can take care of the individuals within that community, especially when those individuals can't take care of themselves. So community care is essentially a mutual exchange of caring for one another. And I think there are different contexts in which community care is used, but for the purpose of this conversation, I'm still referring to the things that are like necessary for your well-being, but with help from other individuals. I think of it as like a, like a step further or like an extension of self-care. So it's like you have self-care because that's like um, micro level, and then you have community care at the macro level. For me, growing up, community care looked like um, being raised by multiple family members, um, I remember also, you know, we lived, a lot of the times we lived with other family members, um, and so there was a lot of us in the same space sharing chores, um, or, you know, sharing food, different things like that, but I also remember, because we were really religious, sometimes community care looked like offering people food or a place to stay, uh, when they needed it, especially in church. I also remember specifically within church raising money for families, um, especially when they like couldn't afford rent or when someone was sick. And so, although I'm not religious anymore, I think that um, church was the first place I saw community care like this. Um, but today I see community care practiced by like other LGBTQ plus folks and their chosen families. Um, and I think that right now, mutual aid is a great example of community care. I saw the RGV mutual aid, um, which I will link in the description, raised, God, they raised so much money for families uh, and people who had been affected by the hurricane um, that happened a few weeks ago. And I think like, I think, Community care, also, whenever you think about it in terms of, like, not needing to call outsiders, specifically police um, or other, like, state entities to come into your community and, like, quote-unquote, take care of business is really powerful because, you know, sometimes it's done because we understand that outsiders or the state um, is not there to help us. Oftentimes what they do is cause harm. So taking matters into your own hands um, as a community and providing that type of support for each other is so, so powerful. Um, but I also think that in order to do this, you do have to have a strong community presence. Like you have to get to know folks and like really have that open communication and build that circle. I I also think that community care is what you make of it. I think it requires, like I said, larger conversations with the people you want to engage in mutual care with. Um, for example, when I'm like having an endo flare up, the only ways to help me are, you know, making sure I have easy meals I can heat up or making sure that I have a quiet space to sleep. Um, and maybe like occasionally bringing me tea or medicine, but I prefer to be left alone and checked up on like every now and then. 
Um, and this may not be like the same experience for other people who are experiencing some form of pain and probably not for someone who is in a mental health crisis, right? So I think you really do have to ask the people that you are going to engage in this care with what they need and when they need it, what boundaries shouldn't be crossed. Um, and I think that this is also something I've learned recently because you can totally be like, hey, like if you ever need anything, let me know. But I think it's a lot more beneficial and like a lot more healthy even to, you know, ask someone what they need and when they would need it and then make your own personal judgment on like if you would be able to assist that person. Um, and obviously this is, you know, a mutual thing. So making sure that they can also help you whenever you need stuff. So, you know, like community care, uh, similar to self care is like I said, what you make of it, right? But it really does require open communication with the people who you want to you know, include in this. And I actually think that this is like such a beautiful example of, you know, transformative justice whenever we were talking about pod mapping, um, like briefly in the transformative justice episode, like Mia Mingus talks about having to, you know, reach out to people who you would want to be in your pod and how sometimes those are not the people who you have, you know, really strong relationships with like sometimes they're not your friends sometimes they're not your family members sometimes they're other community members that you build these relationships with who can offer this type of support um but that's not to say that they can't be your friends or family right i just think that it is a conversation that you have to have that is honest and includes many people you know you can't just be thinking this to yourself and not talking to others. So yeah, but all in all, I think that community care is not something that's really talked about in the mainstream. Um, and I think it kind of has to do with the fact that we live, or I live in America, specifically Texas, and it is a very much individualist country. And so we focus a lot on like our individual needs, but I think that, you know, it's, pretty clear that a lot of individuals, especially people of color, um, so black, brown, and indigenous folks, tend to need their community, right? Um, or spend a lot of time within their communities. And if you're telling us that the only way to take care is to take care of ourselves, then you're really taking away the fact that we rely on others. So that's why I think it's really important to continue to talk about community care um, and definitely as an extension of self-care. Okay, next I really want to talk about self-care and liberation. Um, I watched an Afropunk video called Angela Davis on radical self-care and I posted a little clip on it on the Instagram. And Angela Davis talks about why it's important to practice what she calls ra radical self-care, um, both as an individual and as like a collective. 
Um, she says that it's necessary to practice um, radical self-care so that we can bring our entire selves into the movement. And she also said that this was a more holistic approach. So I think that what she meant by that is that if you're honest about taking care of yourself and you know reaching out for help from those in your community, then you're better equipped to continue your work. And I think that there's like just more humanness that is shared this way. And I think it's definitely necessary to hold that space for yourself and for others, which I'll be talking about more later. Um, but I think this can look like, you know, having a temp check or just a genuine check-in and working to build an environment where everyone feels like it's okay to talk about, you know, how they're struggling um, or if they need help or if they are doing okay and want to help others, like they can uh, voice that or say that. And it really helps to bring people closer to each other. And I think whenever you're doing movement work, that's really important because we have to feel connected. Um, otherwise, it's like, what am I working towards? And why is collective liberation important? You know, if you don't feel a connection to those you're around, then I think it's very easy to then build like a more individualist mindset and be like, okay, well, I should only work towards things that are beneficial for me because it's easier, whereas working towards a collective liberation is harder because it's, you know, including so many more people. So like, why should I do that? And I think that, you know, if you want to live in a world without oppression, we have to do our own part in ensuring that we ourselves are not oppressing others. Um, and, you know, are taking true care of our communities, which again is why I think that having this space, holding this space for ourselves and for others is really important. And, you know, she talks briefly about that as well. Angela Davis in this video also says that radical self-care helps with sustaining our movement. Um, she says specifically, um, as we develop our movement today, we are creating a terrain for the emergence of new activists. And what we do today has an impact on what younger people will be able to do tomorrow. So what I took from that is that we should learn from our ancestors and those who came before us so that we don't make the same mistakes, you know? So this applies to self-care because the movements that we work in are long-term ones. Um, I think whenever I first came specifically into the reproductive justice movement, I really, you know, thought that it was, okay, we're working to ensure um, abortion access for all folks, you know? And I think that this was like a very superficial way of looking at it because reproductive justice includes so many other things and so once i kind of you know thought more about that i think it was like a year later when i really had the opportunity to think more about what liberation meant specific to the reproductive justice movement i realized that it was just so much stuff and the reality is that these are not things that i may see in my lifetime but it's still essential to keep that momentum going so that we can work towards these goals. Um, and you know that includes taking care of ourselves and our community and sharing how we do this with people that are younger than us so that they can continue to practice um, these things. Angela Davis talked about practicing yoga and meditation when she was in prison. And I thought that this was really interesting to bring up because um, I think that you know, whenever we think of mindfulness, these are kind of the two main things that come up. But I think that if it worked 
for someone who, you know, was fighting for black liberation and continues to do so, then it might be something for us to look more into, you know. But I think mindfulness um, is a really, really big part of self-care. Personally, I also think that if we want our movements to be sustainable, then we have to ensure people have the like everyday necessities. Um, I really want to like go off about a local organization. Um, Feed the People Dallas is this amazing org that is Black-led, female-operated, and ally-funded, and they're working to provide mutual aid um, to communities here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, and they actually have origins from the Black Panther Party, um, who established programs like this across the United States to like make sure people had basic necessities like hot meals. Um, and so Feed the People Dallas, one of the things that they do is that they donate groceries to families in need. Um, and I think this is amazing because this is an example of what community care can look like. And I mention them because it's like just so powerful. And I think about how this is like sustaining a movement in the most little way, um, you know, because they're enacting change that is visible right away by giving people food or other like basic necessities that they need. Um, and I think that this is something that we should really be thinking about whenever we're talking about movement work because you know, how are people supposed to be fighting, you know, long term for um, collective liberation when they don't have food, you know, when they don't have access to food, when they don't have running water or have somewhere to stay. Like, we really do have to take care of the basic necessities within our communities if we want people to be strong enough and, you know, able to work towards our collective liberation. In the video, Angela Davis was also asked um, how self-care can become a radical act when practiced by Black people. And I thought that this was a really powerful answer. So she says that Black people have had to deal with so much violence, but that we have also produced music and art during these traumatic times. Um, and when she said that, I immediately thought of like enslaved Africans who survived off of resilience, which was, you know, fueled in so many ways by storytelling and making music and being in community with others and i think that is really relevant and like very much still a thing today you know um which is why i also think that art as activism is so powerful you know to showcase emotions on a canvas or through a song really lives an imprint on the world angela davis also says that imagination plays a role in collective liberation and like i was saying earlier whenever i first came into the reproductive justice movement. Like the, the things that I thought we were fighting for were very, you know, things that I thought that would be accomplished right away. And I didn't really have that deep understanding of all the other um, oppressions and injustices that we were fighting for, against, right? And so, you know, whenever I was given the opportunity to really think more about that, um, one of the things I had to do was imagine what a liberated world would look like. And so I think being able to do this just takes a lot of work because you're you're crafting a world in your head and you're trying to work towards it every day. And sometimes you can't see the results, right? But you're, you're focusing on the end goal um, and it's like just fuel to keep going. And so whenever she said that imagination plays a role, I was just thinking about how, you know, I think it is important to imagine what our hard work 
paying off would look like um, because sometimes we get into this like routine or this mindset that we're we're working we're fighting but what is it really looking like you know what how are we making a difference um, and so sometimes it's important to just come back and like really think about that to Angela Davis's point I think imagination plays a role because we're working towards the things we need for our survival but not just our own right for our community survival so our collective survival in that sense and ending the oppression of all of us is not just self-care but it's also community care okay so with that we're going to take a quick break and then when i come back i'm going to talk about what self-care um, practices can look like so i read this article called how to hold space for yourself first by heather plett um, and I thought that there was some really good points that this person brought up and I really want to share with everyone. So some ways to practice self-care in terms of holding space for yourself. One of the things that they say is to learn how to say no so you don't overcommit. And speaking from personal experience, I think that this can be really challenging, um, but sometimes it's really, really... Well, I would argue all the time it's necessary to not overcommit yourself and to learn how to say no to things. Um, they also mention crying whenever you need to. Um, I had some, you know, different feelings about this one because I personally grew up in a family where tears were not really welcomed, like emotions in general, to be completely honest. And I feel like the consequences of that are very much still present in my life. But sometimes I do need a good cry. Um, I think that the process of crying can be very cathartic and it does feel very, you know, just like stress releasing. So I think giving yourself space to cry can be important um, and it shouldn't be something that you, you know, avoid doing because you feel like people will perceive you as weak, etc. Um, the author also talks about letting other people hold space for you and I want to add you know, letting other people hold space for you if you feel comfortable doing this. Um, similar to community care, sometimes, you know, people will do things for you when you're going through it. Um, you know, for example, when my brother was sick um, last year, so many people offered to cook for my family or buy us groceries or, you know, help pay the bills or, you know, give us money for gas, things like that. And it was super helpful and it also made us feel like people really cared um, and they were helping us in ways that they knew that they could, you know? And I think that this definitely depends on the circumstances because maybe it's not always appropriate for other people to hold space for you um, or you may not think it's appropriate and that's completely fine. So I would say if you feel that it's, that, you know, it's okay if you're comfortable with it, then it is. Um, because yeah sometimes people just really want to help and you know they will do whatever they feel like they can do to help you there's also you know this idea of being mindful and practicing mindfulness um and i think that you know like whenever i was talking about angela davis practicing um yoga and meditating those are two ways to practice mindfulness and i think they're great um and i also want to add journaling um and I think that, you know, sometimes just writing how you feel versus talking to someone can really help you because 
you're not gossiping um it feels more personal you can really truly you know just write whatever is coming to mind um and sometimes whenever you're done you're like oh wow like you know that was really helpful i released so many emotions i don't feel like this anymore or you know months later you read it back and you're like that was kind of silly to be upset about but like also i held space for myself in that moment and allowed myself to feel that way um i also think doing things that help you feel very present like in the moment are really great um or helping you feel grounded so taking walks um and like really focusing on all the things that you're seeing you know focusing on your walk and like how your feet feel or you know how you know hot it is outside or how beautiful the flowers look things like that um or even like going outside and focusing on sound so i think really focusing on like your senses helps you feel very grounded um and i think that sometimes that's really necessary another thing that um the person says is to practice expressing yourself creatively um you know painting or collaging maybe making mood boards or knitting or baking or cooking things like that whatever you want that helps you again release emotions um, but maybe in a way that's different from writing so basically there's something for everyone I also want to talk a little bit more about burnout and how you can find ways to take care of yourself if you are burnt out there is an article by the Rockwood Leadership Institute called seven tips to help you sustain a life committed to social justice um, and it's talking specifically about burnout for example another a way that someone could experience burnout is by being over controlling so maybe moving away from micromanaging and trying to find a balance you know so like reworking what goals are and setting long-term goals and short-term goals versus you know having these micro goals that you have to accomplish every day um, and I think that for me this has been a problem in the past because I like to be very organized and I have a planner and what happens is that there's like a long-term goal like months away and I am trying to find ways to work towards it, right? But instead of having maybe like a weekly goal that I should be meeting or a monthly goal, one of the things that um, they talk about is, you know, what happens when you are experiencing burnout specific to like working too much. And I would say that practicing self-care in this specific instant would be to find ways to lessen your workload by, you know, delegating tasks or saying no to new opportunities. Um, so whenever you are experiencing burnout, it is helpful to figure out why you're experiencing that burnout. What is the, the root of the problem? What happens is that I feel that it's necessary for me to focus on this goal every single day. And so I micromanage myself and then I get really burnt out because I'm like, I have to finish this immediately and it's like no you know so I think really like I said thinking about why you're experiencing this burnout is helpful so that you can find a way to you know work towards not feeling burnt out and getting rid of the problem or solving the problem um, which in a way is definitely taking care of yourself so um, just to wrap up everything that I talked about today, um, first thing is that self-care and community care are both what you make of them. 
Um, you know, self-care does not have to be what capitalism has ingrained in our heads. You don't need the um, oval baths and face masks. Totally cool if you want them, but they're not necessary. Um, and you know, sometimes self-care is not for pleasure, although it can be. Um, self-care can also just be necessary for our survival. And I think that community care is also um, perfectly acceptable, but again, it's very important to communicate um, and find a group of people to practice with. Um, another takeaway is that caring for ourselves and each other is how we will become liberated because living without oppressive systems means that we're responsible for each other um, and we have to hold space for ourselves and for each other. And I think it's really important to just build these connections with the people around us. Um, and like I said earlier, imagination is key. Imagination is so, so important. And I didn't, you know, like I said, I didn't really realize the effects of imagining a better world, but they're there. And, you know, I really recommend finding time to think about what in your wildest dreams liberation would look like. And I think that you will be really, really surprised with the things that you can imagine. Lastly, burnout is very real and we can all work um, towards, you know, helping minimizing that by maybe having um, guides or things put in place that will help you know, acknowledge when burnout is happening and how to move forward. Um, but I also just want to make the note that even if you are experiencing burnout, even if you do think it's your fault, um, even if you made lots of mistakes, you're still worthy of having care, whether that be community care or self or self care. Um, and you shouldn't, you know, stop yourself from accessing those things because regardless of what capitalism tells you, you are very, very worthy of taking breaks and having time to just step away from everything. Wow, thank you so much for listening to this episode um, and this entire season. We made it through. Um, thank you to all my guests. Um, thank you to those who have uplifted this podcast and who you know, told me that this was totally possible and totally something I should do because self-doubt really had us in the beginning. Um, I feel like I've learned so much, you know, not just about the topics that I've covered, but also about how um, going about having a podcast is and like um, different things I can do to improve, you know, structure-wise and just finding more ways to connect with people. Um, I do want to say that Having the opportunity um, to interview so many great folks um, this season really helped me visualize the different struggles um, in different communities right here in Texas. And so I, I'm really thankful for people um, who came on the season and were willing to share all these things um, because I feel like I've learned so much from everyone. Um, please stay connected on Instagram. Um, the Instagram is at tftalkspodcast. Um, I will be sharing resources and uplifting the work of others for the time being. Um, and, you know, hopefully we will be back up in a few months. But yeah, thank you again so much. I am so grateful. Like, words cannot express how grateful I am um, to have this platform. 
I ask if you could please, if you're listening to this on iTunes, leave us a review so more people can find us. Um, and also just, you know, if you learned something, like go for it. Um, so yeah, I hope you all enjoyed and that um, you take care of yourselves. You'll hear from me very, very soon. All right. Bye y'all.